1: Hello, welcome to the Long Form Podcast. I'm Max Linsky. I'm here with just one co-host,
0: Aaron Lammer. How are you, sir? What happened to Evan? What have you done with him?
1: Evan's gone. He's gone forever. No, he's uh, he's doing his thing. He's out reporting, man. He's uh, He's on a story. This one's particularly
0: exciting, even for Evan. This one's particularly exciting. We can't disclose any more than that, but I'm sure you'll be hearing about it in some period of years. Who did you have on the podcast this week? This week on the show is uh, Tara Westover, who I am very, very
1: excited to have gotten the chance to talk to. She is best known for her memoir, Educated. It came out in 2018. It did so well, so phenomenally well, that it is only just now coming out in paperback, which is part of the reason that she came on the show. For those who have not read Educated, Tara was born to a family of survivalists. She grew up at the base of a mountain in Idaho. She had no birth certificate. She had never seen a doctor. She had never set foot in a classroom until she was 17 years old. But somehow, she got herself into BYU, and then to Harvard, and to Cambridge. She has a PhD. And Educated is the story of how she came to leave her family, of how she came to learn about the world and about herself. It is an incredible book. So we talked about the book and how she wrote it and how she thinks about it now, a couple of years removed from having written it, and also about how she's following it up and what she's working on now and, and a lot about the nature of memoir itself. It was, a, um, it was a really interesting conversation. I was really glad to get the chance to
0: talk to her look forward to this. Uh, we're brought to you in partnership with Vox Media, who help us produce the show. Thanks to them. Now here's Max with Tara Westover.
1: You ready? Uh, I mean, you can keep fucking with your necklace. It's
2: fine. During the interview?
1: Whatever you want. It's your world.
2: <laughs> they might hear it. It's metal.
1: No, I think it's fine. Like I think people should be entitled to their like fidgety things.
2: I'm not. <laughs> it makes me sound like I need to do it. It's just like I really want to solve it.
1: No, no, no. You don't need to. You just really I really want, want to. to finish. I'm really it's close. It's not compulsive or anything. It's just it's, Yeah, something let's that keep you...
2: saying it's not compulsive, even though I have picked it up and put it down. <gasps> <gasps> this is this is the moment. It's gonna come unraveled. Yes, come on. It's just we just gotta get this little yes. That's it.
1: Can you tell me what you just did?
2: It had a knot in it. Uh, my necklace had a knot in it and, um, the little chain, you know, it's one of these really tiny little chains and yeah. it got a horrible knot in it and I have been trying to untie it while you were setting up the, you're recording now, aren't you? Uh-huh. Yeah. This is yeah. now the interview. Yeah, yeah. I, I got the, I got the, I got the knot out. It was a big moment.
1: I wish people could see how satisfied you are.
2: I <laughs> really happy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're legit proud. <laughs> well,
2: you know, it's like there's a moment when the knot gives. It's satisfying.
1: Yeah. Well, I feel like now there's only, um. It's only downhill from here with the interview.
2: Yeah, that was kind of a high point. <laughs>
1: uh, Tara, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it.
2: I'm really uh, happy to be here.
1: Congratulations on the uh, paperback.
2: That's why we're here. There's a paperback.
1: What is it um, like to have some guy come over to your house and ask you about a book that came out several years ago about which you have been talking for several years? <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's sort of like an alternate reality, I suppose, because you have your life and then you have this kind of role you step into occasionally where you're the author of this book and you, you know, do authory things like yeah. have interviews or do events or whatever. And, and then, you know, it's just like the dog wants to go outside and thinks that that's important <laughs> and uh, is not impressed by the book and doesn't particularly care about the paperback.
1: But it's not just any book. It's like the uh, incredible story of your own life. Like, incredible story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can block <laughs> me for that if you want to. It's a pretty good story as these things go. Like, I guess uh, maybe this is a very meta way to start, but I do wonder what it's like to sort of like have to go back into that. Is it, I don't know, is it boring for you?
2: Um, It's not boring. It can get boring. I mean, there, were, I, there was a period on the tour where I just got very burned out and was saying a lot of the same things over and over again. And I went, it was very different. In the early in the early months of it, I had this weird kind of sense of mission because I'd written about estrangement and I'd written about losing my family. And I remembered when that happened to me, when I first decided I really need to step away from my parents for a year. Not because I didn't love them or want to be around them, but just because I was having a mental breakdown trying to make it work with them. And it was so lonely. And I I think when I wrote the book and I was on tour at the beginning, I had this strange sense of like, I have to say all these things because it would have helped me so much to hear them. No matter how many times somebody asked me about them, I was like really happy to talk about it because I just had this idea that I was talking to my former self. It was all very trippy and narcissistic probably, but (laughs) I had this idea that I was like, oh, this would have really helped me. So I'm going to go say this everywhere.
1: But you mean like very specifically you,
2: me or anybody anybody with any version of that situation. And that situation comes in a lot of different versions. You know, you don't have to be raised by survivalists in the mountains of Idaho to really struggle to find a healthy boundary with your family. You know, like people have alcoholic parents, people have schizophrenic parents, people have people have parents with all all kinds of problems and difficulties that make well-being uh, and proximity complicated. And I think, yeah, at the beginning of the tour, I just felt this obsession. Like I need to be out there talking about this because nobody was talking about it when it happened to me, and I was so lonely. And after a year, (laughs) I suddenly was like, I think, I think I covered it. I think I people (laughs) want to see me talking about this. They can. They can just go online. (laughs) That
1: material is available. That is
2: available to them if this is useful to them. And I don't need to just you know just talk about this for the rest of my life, which is good because it can be hard. So. Then I uh, chilled out a little. And then the pandemic happened and I chilled out a lot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and does it uh, does it feel different now? Does that like calling thing feel different now?
2: Uh, my interests are shifting a little bit, I think. I'm not bored by it, but it's just my interests in it are shifting and my thinking of it is changing. And, uh, you know, if I were to write that book today, it would be a really different book. And in that for that reason, I'm really glad I wrote it when I wrote it because it was always meant to be – a snapshot of a specific moment.
1: How would it be different now?
2: I think we have this idea that memoirs are supposed to be written by people about to die. I think that happens a lot because it's it's a good time to write because everybody's dead and they're not gonna sue you. So I think we have this popular idea that a memoir should be a reflection of your whole life. And I like to think of a memoir more like the way you'd think of a, of, a, of a novel, which is that it should be from a lot of different points of view, and it's about an experience. And so you you don't want all of your novels written by people about to die either. Because if you think about – if you're going to write about your first time that you fell in love, and you wrote about that when you were 20, and it happened when you were 20, that's going to be a very different book than if you wrote about that thing that happened when you were 20, falling in love when you were 80. You're going to see it through a totally different landscape. And – if you apply that to the Educated, the book I wrote, I think that is about a person making a really difficult decision with a really difficult family and a situation where someone loves you, but that love ends up being kind of um, hurtful and ends up hurting you. And that decision, I think writing about it in the moment of that decision, is that's what's different about it. It's a different book than if you write about it 10, 20, 30 years later. The decision settles more. You know how you feel about it more. And if I'm honest with you, when I wrote the book, I did not know how I felt about that decision. Really? No, I felt really complicated about it.
1: Well, really complicated makes sense to me. I mean, I just like reread the ending like an hour ago. <laughs> and that's uh, one of us. And it seems like, uh, I don't know, feels like it's pretty confidently written, I would say. <laughs> it's like quite definitive.
2: Well, there's not really an end to that book. If you think about it, like, there's no ending to that book. You kind of – I kind of had to manufacture one with words uh-huh. in a way because there's not an ending to say, like, and then I didn't go back. is not an ending. Um, so I kind of made one. It's
1: another helpful thing about writing a memoir right before you die. <laughs> is like got a, you have you, an ending. You've got a pretty it's, natural ending, yeah. It's
2: relief. Um, yeah, so I didn't really have an ending, so I had to kind of make one. And, I mean, the, everything I wrote at the end is true, more or less how I felt. But I think there's a lot of ambivalence in that book. I mean, there's just – that is a person ping-ponging back and forth between the choices that they're making and how they feel about them. And I don't, I'm a lot less ping-pongy now than I was when I wrote the book. Yeah. I not, I don't bounce as much.
1: Is that just a product of time?
2: And a lot of therapy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's (laughs) interesting that you describe the book that way about being about that choice, because I feel like a lot of other narratives are imposed on the book. You just wrote this piece in The Times about the way that your educational journey, people talk about it as like a form of the American dream and bootstrapping and stuff. Do those parts of it feel right to you, just not your focus? Or do they actually like feel off?
2: I would say they are they don't feel off. I wouldn't say that. I, I think, you know, it's funny when I wrote that piece, The Times wanted to put a title on it that was kind of similar, that was something about how people had misread the book. And I uh, really just couldn't let them do that basically <laughs> because it just goes against everything that i believe about stories and what they're for and how we should use them and i i'm completely fine with the idea that somebody reads educated and has a totally different set of conclusions or experiences or ideas.
1: You don't feel defensive of that?
2: No, it's I mean, I have my life and then there's the book and the one is certainly a reflection of the other. But it but when somebody else reads it, I mean, it that's a conversation that they're having with the story and a little bit with me, but especially with the story. And if it if they're reading it and they substitute their mother for my mother, their father for my father, that's kind of the point, I think. So if somebody, I think Somebody's going to read it and get a totally different feeling or set of conclusions. I think that's okay. Because I think part of the reason we have stories, we read them and we, we read what other people have done or we watch movies or whatever we do. We consume these stories and we see what people did and the decisions that we made. And we try to figure out how we feel about what they did. And maybe it broadens our perspective on what, what the range of choices are. That are available, you know, like maybe you don't have to stay if a relationship goes past a certain point of like well being and safety. Like for me, the idea that there was a door, I don't think occurred to me till very late. (laughs) So I think if a story can help somebody know on the list of, of, of options that you have of how to deal with this, one of them is set this kind of boundary for for yourself you can do that that's an option you don't you certainly don't have to it's not the right option for everybody but that's one of the options i mean i it's not like i say everybody who reads the book estrangement is the right answer for them i really doubt it but there's going to be some people and there's going to be some people for whom it's not but they might identify with other parts of the story and uh no i i'm completely at ease with that i think that's the point
1: were you at ease with it when you were on tour and feeling like you were on a calling has that been a process or were you there from the start?
2: I was there from the start. I never, it never bothered me. You know, I would be at book signings or something and someone would come up to me and they would say, you know, I love the book and I just know reconciliation with your family. You guys are going to be fine. And then the next person would say, I'm so glad you're never going to see those people again. <laughs> <laughs> and I would just laugh. It was nothing to do with me. Like neither book really has anything. They're they're, that's about them. So uh, no, that never that never bothered me. The op-ed that I wrote, was more about that specific idea of resilience and people kind of saying, oh, well, if you could get out, you never went to school, you never went to the doctor, you never brushed never certificate, if you could get out and go to Cambridge and Harvard, then it must be that we don't need any, you know, social safety or systems in place or institutions. And I always thought, well, now. That might be one interpretation that I have a few footnotes I would add to (laughs) because, like, those kinds of institutions, my story is lousy with them. You know, like, I mean, I – pale ground is largely why I didn't drop out of college. I went to a really affordable university. Um, Housing was so much cheaper back then because it was before the housing crisis really got rolling. And so I think – you don't want to take stories where people have been able to fight through, and then say, "Oh, look, we don't we don't need any support. We don't need to make this possible for people because it turns out a few people are doing it." And I right. just think, let's examine those a little closer, and you see that actually those those stories are possible because the institutions are strong. Like that's why people can do it.
1: Can we talk about the um, actual writing of the book for a second?
2: Sure. No, that's like off limits for me. Sorry. We can talk about estrangement. We can talk about, we just can't talk about writing.
1: (laughs) Fine. Fair enough. Fair (laughs) enough. Well, I mean, uh, the two are connected actually, because I think rereading it, one of the things that I was wondering about was how you made choices about where, if at all, to draw lines.
2: It's interesting. And I know of another friend who's a writer who's written about her life. And she has said to me, she feels like she's kind of, all of her most meaningful experiences she shared. And she feels like that's kind of taken them from her in a way. I just don't feel that way. And I don't feel that somebody completely misreading it and telling me what what happened or what should have happened or what will happen in any way changes what I think about it. It's, I don't, I've just never felt that way. It would be a horrible way to feel. My decisions about what to put in and what not to put in are not, not so much about whether I'll feel like those experiences have been taken. It's more about what the point is of sharing things mm-hmm. and what's the effect of sharing them, especially on, you know, anytime you tell your story, you tell other people's story, almost always, actually. And so it's fraught, and I think you need a rubric to decide how important it is, what you're telling. You know, there were things that I put in the book that were very, in drafts of it, that... um they were they were like a good read, but they there wasn't a point to them. I couldn't I couldn't justify them to myself. I didn't feel like the story didn't need them. Uh, and you know at the, in the end of, at the end of the day, whenever you take something out of your writing that you don't need, the writing is helped anyway. So I think it, these processes feed onto each other. But I always ask if if I'm going to write something that I know is going to be complicated for somebody, uh, I need a pretty good reason to do it. And at least I need good enough reason to convince myself enough that I can delude myself that it's a good reason. And, and it, you know, I, you don't always meet that standard. I think what you can't do is pretend that it isn't complicated.
1: Is there, like, a level of complication over which you won't go? Is there a line with that stuff?
2: Um, That's kind of—I'm wrestling with that at the moment, actually. I've been stuck for the last three or four months in this project. I'm writing another book, and there are a couple things I wanted to write about, but I only wanted to write about them if I could—if I could— find a way to do it so that I was just I was comfortable and that the people I was writing about were comfortable. If you uh, if we had this interview 2 weeks ago I would have said I'm going to have to give up. I can't do it. I'm going to have to drop it. And recently I've I've found oh, I think I found a way. And we'll see if I send it to them and they want to murder me then I'll be wrong. But So you um, send it to them.
1: That's part of the I'm going that's part to, of the rubric.
2: In this case for sure. Um my my educator I didn't send to everybody. I sent to some of them. When I was drafting it, I started with, you know, the people I was closest to that were going to be the nicest to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> do you like, um, do you take notes in that situation? Like, do you incorporate feedback?
2: Uh, Yeah. I mean.
1: Like, is it, is it a hmm. favor or is it an edit?
2: It depends. I've had people give me feedback that I took and I've had feedback that I didn't take. And I've had members of my family sent me. Notes before the book was published that they said, "Don't you don't need to put this in? It's just for your private recollection. I don't really mind." And then after it was published, they were irate that their edits didn't make it in, and you know, I, I don't even think that's unreasonable because I think when they sent me the comments, they, much like me, thought, "Well, no one's going to read this book anyway." Some of that chilled outness uh, went out the door uh, when it was doing well, which I think is actually fair. I don't, I don't mind that they felt that way. That makes sense to me.
1: I know you don't want to talk about this book that you're writing now, but in the most like opaque way possible, can you walk me through how you cracked this problem that if we'd been talking two weeks ago, you would have felt like was intractable?
2: Well, I would just say for me, it's all about point of view. So there's a story that I'm telling that if I tell it from my point of view, and since I'm the protagonist, that's kind of inevitable. Um, this person doesn't come off very well, and the problem, the other problem, is this is someone I really like. think well of. And uh, it's a really not, it's not their best moment. Like Mm -hmm. they really do sound terrible in this moment. They made a horrible decision, but it's not in my mind representative of them. Uh, But it was a really important moment for me. So I'm in this kind of crossroad where I want to tell the story because it's important. And I don't want to make it seem like this person's terrible. But I also don't want to write a whole book about this person. If I wrote a whole book about them, it'd be fine. I could contextualize right. what happened. And then everyone would be like, ah, I see. Not their best day. Yeah, But they're great. Uh, but because they're just kind of appearing for a minute and leaving, I'm you're doing like, something horrendous. You're just bringing
1: them on stage, calling <laughs> exactly, them Exactly. To be then,
2: terrible. Yeah. I'm bringing them on stage to be terrible. And then I'm like, okay, you can go now. <laughs> and, um, and it's someone I really care about and I'm close to. And so um, that is difficult. That is a conundrum. And the way that I've solved it, I mean, so far is it's not. I don't know if I can even explain it in any sophisticated way. Is I, I think I might do some pretty terrible writing if I really need to. That's one thing I'll do. Is I'll just. I might even just step out of the story for a minute and just explain it, like literally contextualize it.
1: Just like have a graph before it that just like just so you know.
2: I, or at the end, I like uh, this person.
1: They're they're normally great. No, but it's just day. like
2: this is not a thing that this person did in isolation. Like mm-hmm. there's an explanation for this and. I think if you get the tone right, you can get away with some shit like that,, yeah. <laughs> but it's hard to do, and there's a risk that it comes off just really corny and it interrupts the narrative. So I have to weigh all those risks, and how much can I get around them just by working the language to death so that it's as good as I can make it? And the other thing is is just I might have to do that. otherwise, I can't use the story mm-hmm. because I can't live with using it without the context. So you know you're like weighing some evils in there, and I think if it's if it's done well, at least I hope that the times I did it reasonably well and educated, I think it actually ends up being worth it. The context. When
1: when you say doing it well, you mean like stepping out of it, stepping for a out
2: a little bit. And you know, there's a scene where my we have there's a car accident. My brother uh, falls asleep driving, and you could leave that story there and say, you know, my 17 year old brother fell asleep driving, we all got really hurt, and it was terrible. And I do it at the end of that chapter. I sort of step out and give this very strange and narratively jarring (laughs) summary of, like, what the impact was for him for the next 10 years of his life. Yeah, there's, like, this
1: whole section where you sort of flash forward all the moments. And it's a tonal
2: break, and it's, like, kind of problematic. And I had to work it over with my editors a thousand times. And the editor's like, we don't need this. And I have to say, you know, I need it to have the story because otherwise I can't live with the story.
1: In the text, it's almost like a need to sort of like absolve him in the moment so you can move forward.
2: Yeah. And I wouldn't even say totally absolve, but just at least like fill him out a little, you know. He's not just a 17-year-old who fell asleep. Like this is the effect it had. And the problem is it's point of view. I mean, I have this weird little footnote at the end of my book where I say, um geez, what do I say? <laughs> I say, like, we're all more complicated than the roles we are assigned in the stories other people say. I think that's what I say, something like that. And I think it's a point of view problem because if I'm telling a story that's about me, they come in on stage for two seconds. They do something kind of horrible and then they leave. So that's the perspective. And we don't get any more information about them. And it's fair in the sense that it's that's what happened. But If we were telling, you know, like a Jonathan Franzen style or or what Jennifer Egan does, you know, these multi-perspective stories, then it would be different, you know. Benny Salazar comes on and does something awful, but that's okay because the next chapter is Benny Salazar and we're going to understand why he's like that. But if you're writing a memoir, you're writing about you, everything is your perspective and so… You've, you've got this kind of tunnel vision of what happened to me and this person. I was having a bad day and this person made my day worse. And, and you don't really get the information. Like, actually, their day was much worse than yours. What's hard is you want to keep the narrative energy going of this is my story and we're really focusing on what happened to me because that's more satisfying as a narrative. You can't just get sidetracked with, like, you know, the cab driver cut me off and now we're gonna have to stop for a chapter and really look at his childhood before we go back to the car chase. You know, like mm-hmm. you can't do that. It ruins the story. But I I do think um for the big things, for the important things for people that you're gonna name, for people that are going to be recognizable, to really pause long enough that there is a hint at the larger story at least. Like a a little bit of context so that they don't just pop in as the villain for two seconds and then pop out that you can at least put some brushstrokes in that will gesture to the just real complexity of the world, you know, and not everything is about you, even, even in a memoir.
0: Support for long form this week comes from listening
1: protect yourself in your work
2: that's interesting I mean I'm thinking about that a lot right now because I'm I'm interested in well-being and therapy and healing and you know kind of the thing I'm writing now is about if educated is about making a decision to get out of a kind of toxic family uh this next book is about hopefully it's about reckoning with that emotional inheritance Part of that is learning not just to inhabit other people's perspectives, but to really inhabit your own perspective, which is a weakness of mine. I, it's much easier for me to see the car accident from my brother's point of view or my mother's point of view. My own point of view is like harder for me. I Why is don't that? store that because I'm super dissociative. That's <laughs> it's like the short answer. <laughs> uh, no, I just I don't always have access to those feelings. I have the facts. I have the factual. I can tell you what happened, you know, within reason. I don't have like an amazing memory, but I have an okay memory. But I, the feelings, the experience, I don't, I don't have that. What an interesting line of work you've chosen. (laughs) I know. So actually the other thing is much easier for me to say what this felt like. I mean, it's something I'm going to write about in the next book is there's a a thing in particular, one really difficult story that, there's a way to tell that story that is about my experience of it, and then there's a way to tell that story that is what happened, and then there's a way to tell that story that is what happened from the, the other person. And no one is wrong. You know, nobody is right. They're all right. Mm-hmm. But the ability to have access to at least two of those perspectives is really important, I think, for putting yourself together. You have to have a basic idea of what happened. But you also need to know how it felt.
1: Do you write these things to figure out how it felt?
2: Educated, I didn't. Uh, I don't think I did figure out how it felt that much from educated. I think I was too dissociated. I figured out what happened, and I put it in order, and I made sense of it. But I don't think the experiential stuff, uh, I'm kind of learning that more recently.
1: It's surprising to hear you say that.
2: Is it? I don't seem dissociated.
1: Well, I mean, having read the book, I wouldn't have said that you seemed all that separated from how it felt.
2: Oh, good. That's most, actually most... Most psych- my psychologists who've read it have told me that I do. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're right. They're totally right. Because I have the facts. It's a subtle difference. A lot of people, when they do therapy or they do various kinds of work around trauma, they actually remember things that they didn't before. That's I haven't had that. I, I don't remember anything new, but I, what I recover is the actual experience of what happened. Because that, for me, is is uh, stored to somewhere that I don't really have a lot of access to it, especially for stuff when I was young. Stuff yeah. that happened when I was older is a little is a little better. The facts I've got, I just the, the felt experience, and with some of them I do because I've done all this work, but I didn't when I wrote Educated. I was very separated from that.
1: It just felt like somebody
2: else. Felt like somebody else. Yeah, or it didn't feel things that were upsetting were not upsetting to me. You know, like I – it's actually – one of the first chapters that I wrote about my dad's junkyard. I wrote about this injury I got in my dad's junkyard. And this was when I first started writing, uh, Educated. And I took it into this amateur writing group and I read it out loud. And I had written it as a comedy. Like, I thought it was funny. You know, I mean, my dad had me writing in this bin of scrap and then he was going to dump the bin into this trailer. And he didn't want to wait for me to climb up. So he was going to just hold it there for a second and I was going to scramble off. But he was driving the forklift in this crazy way so that this piece of angle iron shifted and actually went through my leg and pinned me down so I couldn't get out of the bin. And then he dumped it when I was still inside of it. The experience of it, you know, once I did a lot of therapy and was actually helped to sit with those feelings for a minute. Uh, yeah, nothing about that memory is funny to me now. I mean, except for the fact that I'm just so dissociated from it, which is kind of funny. But when I wrote it, I thought it was funny because my brothers and I would always get together and joke about my dad and his insane sense of safety and like how, you know, we would tell these stories. Like my dad gave all of my brothers and my cousins uh, like guns, twenty twos, rifles. They were trying to kill this weasel. And my dad hooked changed to the chicken coop and had all these boys standing around the chicken coop and he was going to lift up the chicken coop and they were all going to shoot the weasel. And so, of course, he does that, and they're all, like, shooting at each other, you know, (laughs) because they're in a circle. And it's, it's, like, there is a way where it's funny, you know. Like, there's a way where it is actually funny, but there's also a way where some of these memories are really not funny. I mean, they're really traumatic. And I had access to the funny, the absurdism I got. But the memory of, like, what was it like to be in that position, you know, to be that kid in that moment. And that was not so good. And I didn't have that, I don't think, when I was writing. No, I had a whole bunch of people, a bunch of strangers in a bookshop telling me, uh, (laughs) this person is like, this shouldn't be a comedy. I don't, I'm a little concerned for the writer. Yeah, that was was the feedback. That was their literal feedback. Like, I'm a little worried for this person that they don't know this isn't funny. And that was the first thing I had written. And I kind of went home I was like, oh, they don't, they don't, am I bad at writing comedy or is this not funny? And then I realized maybe it's not funny. Like maybe it's just not a funny memory. And then I did a lot of therapy. I was like, oh, it's really not a funny memory. I get it.
1: It seems like therapy and writing are just completely inextricably linked for you.
2: They have been. Yeah. And maybe they aren't for everybody but they're different. You know, writing educated was like putting the story in order, making sense of it, which was really helpful, really important. But it's not the same as really processing those memories. There were a lot of things that I'd written about that um, when I actually finally got my butt to therapy, like two years after the book came out. um, Because, you know, I did therapy in graduate school, but I did this amazing version of therapy where I never talked about my family. Really? I talked about my ex's family like all the time. They were my kind of proxy. But no, I never went anywhere near my family. So I did maybe a year of therapy in graduate school and I never mentioned my parents. (laughs) I can't, I never. So after the book came out, I was in rough enough shape that I realized I really actually, I just have to go do this. And I probably shouldn't just talk about, you know, the tour. I should probably actually get to what's going on with me. And so I did. And then I, you know, started to become slightly less dissociated which was really helpful, actually. Being not dissociated is, I just can say to everybody, it's better for your life. Yeah, you have a better life when you're not dissociated. It's just better.
1: Was that moment where you felt like you had to go, you just said you were in such rough shape, was that connected to the book blowing up? Like if no one had read it, do you think you would have gone down that path?
2: I think it accelerated it. These things were really affecting me, and I think the book, what it did was it showed me that in a way that was more obvious. And so, uh, instead of waiting another ten or fifteen years to go get help, I got help. So, in a way, I think it was it was good. It was it was just it was an acceleration because the more that I was on stages talking about these things, the more I realized I am not at peace with this. Like I'm really glad for the choices I've made. I don't regret them, but I'm not, I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with the way it's ended. I'm not okay with, I feel a lot of guilt about having written the book. I feel a lot of guilt for having left my family. I just say, you know, I'm I'm walking around telling people, you know, if you uh, are in a dysfunctional relationship, you have a right to be safe. You have a right to leave. And then I myself am like tied in this little knot being like, do you, is that okay? So I think what it did was just really illuminate to me that writing it down, putting it in order was incredibly helpful. But there's still that other work, which is going into a little room with hopefully a competent person and having them teach you how to sit with your feelings and not be so terrified of them. You know, like they're just feelings. You can feel them. It'll be really unpleasant. You know, it's like the dentist. There's an acute pain and then the ache goes away uh, was kind of my experience of it. But I was very afraid of the acute pain. I much preferred the ache.
1: How's it opened up your writing?
2: I mean, we'll see now. Maybe it'll be more boring. Like, <laughs> I think maybe like dissociative writing might be much more pleasurable to read. You know, you're not burdened down by this person's emotions. They don't have any. Um, so that could be good. And all my emotions and Educated, I think, were for other people. You know, it's like my poor brothers or my poor mother or my poor, like, I think that book is just loaded down with a lot of feelings that are about other people. But feelings that are about me, there are not very many of them because I didn't have very many of them. Um, And I think therapy, healing, putting yourself together, whatever you want to call it, is like, it's a lot about your own feelings. So it's it's about holding on to those other perspectives. This is what the perspective is like for them. This is what I think happened. This is what it was like for me. I don't know. Maybe that'll be really boring, tedious writing. Like maybe actually you really want someone who's a little bit uh, detached from themselves and broken and it's a better writer. I don't know. You'll tell me when it's finished.
1: Is it exciting for you?
2: I prefer it. Like I like, I think I'm going to like this book better than Educated. I just don't know how many people are going to share that opinion. <laughs> but I'm it does afraid. seem
1: to me like talking to you, like it's not totally clear to me that you like the book very much.
2: No, I do. I do actually. I'm really grateful to that book. Um, I am, I, and I and I like it for what it is because it's that snapshot, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. That, it's a photograph. It's a photograph of the person on the like making a decision that they aren't even okay with making, but they kind of have to, you know. And I have this theory that it it's really easy to resent yourself for the choices that you make, and if. I find the choices that we punish ourselves the most for are the choices we really didn't have any choice at all, and we just torture ourselves for those ones. At least I did. So I, yeah, I, I totally stand by that book, and I'm really grateful that I wrote it when I did, knowing full well that if I wrote it later, it would be totally different. And but then I think it wouldn't it wouldn't resonate with people who also also aren't sure. You know, if you write a book that is so confident in the choice of that you made it's not going to speak as well to the people who are not so sure and are still feeling their way through that. So, uh, I, I do like it. I, I think it's, and I, like I said, it's great. I'm grateful to it. It's given me a whole new life, but I did continue to change after I wrote it. And so it is, it's, it is this kind of artifact for me.
1: Is it the calling part for all time? I mean, I imagine that you still hear not. from people all the time <laughs> who kind of want to talk it out in one way or another.
2: I do get a lot of messages. Um, I like reading them because it's cathartic to think, oh, this experience, it was helpful to people, not just me. You know, uh, This meant something. At the beginning when I just had so much guilt about the book and I was kind of freaking out, there was a period where I was a little afraid of it. It was doing well and a lot of people were reading it. That scared me, actually. I was kind of afraid of what was (laughs) happening. I would say for the first year, I was just slightly terrified. And every time something good would happen, I would be like, no, no, we can't. just can't happen. And then I would get letters, and I think I didn't know what to make of them, you know. And then later, when I started to therapize a little bit and get a little more comfortable with things, I remember reading letters, and they felt totally different to me, you know. Uh, They were really pleasant to read and to feel like, oh, that was really hard. Living it was really hard. Writing it was really hard. Publishing it was really hard. But this like meant something to somebody, and that ended up being a really great feeling. I mean, I think I, I, I really like that line by um, – was it Ishiguro? I think it's Ishiguro who said that stories, stories about, are about one person saying to another – this is how it feels to me. Does it feel that way to you? And that's it. It's simple. You know, you tell someone your experience and that either helps them or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, they don't have to read it. And it's nice if it does.
1: Was there any static for you about writing another memoir?
2: I sort of swore that I wasn't going to do that. That was my big promise to myself. It's like one memoir is sufficient. (laughs) Um, But changed. Well what I didn't do anything for four years. Yeah. And I just realized I need to be with me right now and figure out my stuff and just
1: And what a gift to be able to have the space to do that.
2: Again, the book totally gave me. Yeah. So I was like, I don't need to do this. I'm gonna not do it. I'm gonna do nothing. I'm gonna do therapy. (laughs) I'm gonna read a lot of books and I'm gonna journal and I'm gonna, you know, walk my dog. And so I did all those things. And then I think because it was helpful, I started Feeling that, uh, for lack of a better word, just that itch again. It's like, oh, what if I wrote about this? Or what it really was was I read so many psych books, and I read books about psychology and spirituality and healing and whatever. And some of them are really helpful. And um, what are the helpful ones? Uh, you know, I suspect it's different for everybody, but I found van der Kolk's Body Keeps the Score really helpful. I've gotten into D.W. Winnicott lately in a in a pretty pretty big way. <laughs> um, but what there is is a shortage of uh, of personal narratives. There's not a lot – if you think about it, it makes sense. Because to write a personal narrative about healing, you kind of have to be willing to write a memoir. Like, you have to write about what happened that you're actually trying to get past. And that's, you know, the, the costs are high. I'm just here to tell you. Like, it's not nothing to write a memoir. And so – there's clinicians kind of summarizing their experiences of their patients, but there's not a lot of, you know, compelling personal stories the writers have taken on and tried to explore the topic.
1: I wonder if you can articulate what the costs are. I don't, what I don't, the
2: costs are of writing a memoir? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, I mean, usually if you, for example, if you're writing about therapy, you're going to be writing about a trauma and you're going to be writing about something bad that happened to you and often... That's not that you stubbed your toe. And so there's going to be other people involved, and that is complicated. You know, that's complicated even when everybody knows it's true. And it can be kind of – people can feel a little bit ashamed about needing therapy or you don't want to say what happened because it'll hurt the person that did it. Maybe it was a long time ago. Maybe maybe a lot of members of your family don't believe you. That's pretty common. Or they do believe you, but they don't think it's fair for you to talk about it. Or, you know, it's very complicated to write about it and – Even if you don't have those complications, just being public about saying this thing happened to me and I have a problem and worrying about whether your colleagues are going to look sideways at you and I treat you like a ticking time bomb or something, you know. But that was when I started thinking about what I'd learned in therapy, how it helped me. I just realized that the reason why people don't write these stories very often is because the cost is high. And so then – and it also just I wanted to do it. It just felt – I don't know. It was like – if I was writing before, from a dis- it's like a challenge, you know. What if you, what if you could not be dissociated and write? <laughs> like, what would that look like, you know? <laughs> and it's also hard. I think writing about therapy is hard because you don't want it to be solipsistic and you don't want it to be, you know, boring. And so it's a challenge, mm-hmm. which I like. But also, it was just something I hadn't, I hadn't seen before, or hadn't seen very much of it before. And which is the same reason I wrote educated, really. I just I wanted someone to walk me through that story and that experience. And I, I hadn't found it. So I, you know, tried to make it. And I think this book will have that. And no, I'm not saying people will like it as well because they may or may not. Like I said, I might find out that being dissociated is actually better for storytelling. <laughs> but um, but I I felt like I hope at least that somebody being in a more emotional position to say, "Here's the story, and here's the version that I was telling myself, and then this is what it's like to actually experience it. Like this is the difference." Might be helpful.
1: That choice feels so thought out and intentional to me. Like you just. I like, had
2: four years to think it over. <laughs> well, I mean,
1: time is helpful, but also I wonder whether like having to make the choice that you made with your family, which is what the book is about makes other choices easier.
2: I mean I I'm not as I used to be so fearful, I guess. You know, I was really fearful I was afraid of losing my family, then after I'd lost them, I was afraid that I made the wrong decision. Then I wrote the book and I was afraid that was the wrong decision when it was everything made me frightened back then. And I just I don't have that feeling now. I think my tolerance for things to go wrong is higher than it was.
1: Seems like a great place to be.
2: It's much more comfortable. I can tell you that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, writing—it's helping me a lot. Is the the way that I'm sure the first educated probably helped me a lot too. But writing—it is really helping me clarify my own my own thoughts about it. It's a different kind of writing, though. It's very. I, I'm finding it harder.
1: Harder to be um, associated.
2: Harder to be associated. Yeah, I mean, straight up stories are easier. Um, to make interesting. And my family is really easy to make interesting because whatever you want to say about the Westovers, they are interesting people. Can't deny. <laughs> and this, it's it's just, it's, it's different. It's slower. And so I would say the writing at the end of the book is more like what I'm trying to do now, which I don't do very much in the book. The book Educated is like story after story after story. Yeah. And there's very little.
1: Yeah, it's it's like a stack of scenes.
2: There's almost no stepping out of the narrative and saying, this is what I think this might mean. Or There's a couple of moments of it, but it really doesn't happen very much. And the thing with, the, with my brother in the car, there's a couple of scenes that I do it after some violence with my older brother, but I don't do it very much. And this book is going to be a lot more of that, for better or worse. It's going to be, here's the story, and then let like, what is, what is this? What does this mean? What's the effect of this? What are the different ways of thinking about or experiencing this? And some people are going to find that to be horribly tedious. I don't know. Maybe they won't. But you don't care. I just think there's a lot of books they can read. There's like, (laughs) you know, good for you. There's, there's so many books.
1: (laughs) In this writing you're doing now, does it feel like there's a gap between like who you are in your daily life when you're walking your dog and who you are on the page?
2: I'm trying to decrease that gap. You know, it's really funny, because I, my very first speech I gave, because I had to give a speech. I had to become a person who gives speeches. And I gave a speech. And uh, and I joke after joke after joke. I just spent the whole speech just making jokes. Because I actually really like jokes. I like joking around. <laughs> and someone came up to me right after it finished. I think the first comment someone made at my very first speech, they came up to me and said, hey, you're funny, but, like, you are not funny in the book. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, he's so true. The book isn't funny at all. There's, like, nothing funny you, in that book.
1: Well, one thing I noticed rereading it is that you talk about being funny and talk about joking around a lot.
2: But there's but, very little. But everything. you never,
1: like, actually see the jokes.
2: Yeah, there's very, very few moments. There's, like, three maybe, but there's not but very you, many. But you
1: actually do refer to it all. It's like it, – it,
2: We were a funny family. We actually joked a lot. Uh, it, I mean it's
1: clearly like important to you in the book. Like it's it's almost like um the like jokes are just like in the room over there. And you're like, no, no, there's yeah. like if you just like down the hall to the left, there's, there's jokes.
2: Yeah, like, I they just were didn't important have to you, but they're not I don't in know. There, it's you know? like I was in a different headspace. and um, I don't know if that's part of the dissociation, it might be, but I I've noticed I've noticed so far in this, but there's just a little bit more joking. I've just noticed. It just creeps in where I just feel a little bit more like a whole person, you know, you know. But I do think – yeah, I think I was – I'm pretty different in person than I was on the page. And I have had people, you know, notice that. (laughs) And I don't know. Maybe it's because when you're writing, it's almost your best self in some ways because you can be really calm and reflective. You know, when somebody does something that annoys you, you're just mad. But if you're sitting down writing about it – You're in a calmer place. You can kind of see, like, oh, well, they were having a difficult time. But uh, in my life, I am not always like that. But when I write, I really do try to be like that. I try to sit down, even when a story is about me, and think about, okay, maybe it is all about me because of course it is. But, um, (laughs) you know, to write a good story, you actually have to realize that all the characters think that it's about them. All of them. (laughs) And in a real way, it is about them.
1: Well, when we started, uh, you said you were going to talk about the new book at all.
2: And we talked a lot about it.
1: Yeah. So now, when it comes out, you have to come back on and let me ask you actual questions about it. Have you read it?
2: Yeah. And I can actually tell stories instead (laughs) of say, well, there's a thing that happened with a guy, and there's a thing, and there's another thing, and it was in a place.
1: Well, this is just a snapshot, you know?
2: It's a snapshot. Tara, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to Long Form. I'm Max Linsky. My co-hosts are Aaron Lammer and Evan Ratliff. This episode was edited by Jackie Sajiko. Thanks to her. Thanks to Susan Peterson, who did the show notes. Thanks so much to Vox for helping us make this show. And thanks to Tara for taking some time. Hopefully she'll do it again when the new book comes out. We'll see you next week.